Hello and welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Raish, your host, and uh, excited about a, a local Aussie um, here who is the founder of Logical Bible Study, an apostolate that releases a podcast, is the host of a podcast called The Daily Gospel Exegesis. And, and he's a student uh, of, at the Franciscan University doing a master's uh, in biblical theology there. Um, and he joins me live now. His name is Hayden. Hello, Hayden. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thanks, Shabelle. How are you? Doing really well. Um, I mean, congratulations on the podcast. I think it's a fantastic initiative um, and you do a, do a great job on there, um, sort of, uh, yeah, doing an exegesis on on the Gospels and making it, I guess, easy for, for the, the average person to understand. So, now, well done with that. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's um, sort of an initiative that I, I guess I started because I thought there was a bit of a, a gap in the Catholic podcast world in that particular area of um, in-depth biblical study, I guess. And it's been amazing how well it's it's gone and the feedback I've received so far has been really positive. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Now you are, um, I, I did say you are, you are currently studying a master's at the Franciscan University. What, what, what are you, what are you doing there? What's that involved? Yeah. So I'm doing a master's of theology online. Um, and so I'm taking it pretty slow. Um, so I'm doing one subject at a time, but yeah, by the end I'll have a, a master's of theology there and it's an amazing university to study at. So I suppose if there's any Australians out there listening uh, who've thought about doing some higher level theology study and you're happy to do some online study, um, Franciscan is a really great university. Yeah, no, good stuff. That's it. Yeah, I, I highly agree. We should uh, promote that. Go, go, uh, we'll put some links in the description, <laughs> Franciscan University. Um, now, how, um, just a bit about yourself uh, before we dive into, I, I do want to dive into a little bit about the podcast further, but maybe about yourself. Who uh, Have you been a cradle Catholic all your life? What, what's what been your faith journey up to this point? I have a, a bit of a, a funny journey. I suppose I'd say that I, I'm a, a revert is probably the right, <laughs> right word to use. I was born a Catholic and um, my parents are both Catholic and they took us to church every weekend fairly faithfully. Um, I, I suppose my parents were never we were never taught the faith at home. So I suppose I don't know how serious it was for them. It was more just a cultural thing that we went to mass on the weekends. So um, luckily when I was about 13 or 14, which is probably when I would have started to leave the church naturally anyway, if I hadn't, you know, if I hadn't been exposed to good teaching, um, I was sort of um, invited along to one of those Christian non-denominational summer Bible camp kind of things. Uh, yep. So that was really, I would say that was the point at which I really, got the Christian message and started the Christian journey. Um, for the next 10-ish years after that, I was a Protestant, I would say, um, an evangelical, fundamentalist, whatever word you like, non-denominational um, Protestant. Wow. Um, and I really learned the Bible in those 10 years, I suppose. That's when I got really passionate about the Bible and scripture study and theology. Um, it was only in my early 20s that I came back to the Catholic faith. And that was really through a lot of discussions, ongoing discussions, I would say, um, with Catholics, with all the usual apologetics ministries that everyone talks about, like Catholic Answers. That was quite a big um, part of my own reversion to the church. Um, yes. So for me, it was after going through the Protestant world, there was a lot of questions that were kind of left unanswered and really the only logical, I got to a point where the only intellectually intellectually logical place to be was the Catholic Church. That was answering all the questions. So, um, yeah, so I've had a bit of a journey through a few different denominations, but I'm happy to be <laughs> back in the Catholic world again. Wow. How um, how long have you been back in the Catholic Church? 
I'd say it's about 10 years now that I've been okay. a practicing serious Catholic, yeah. Wow. So you had a good a good decade uh, uh, in 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 a, as a Protestant, so to speak, uh, in in and then ten years as a Catholic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, practicing. What um, can I ask, sister? Has your faith personally? Um, what your relationship with Jesus? You would have had a relationship with Jesus as as a Protestant. Um, yeah. Did that? How does that change uh, when you when you I guess embrace you know the Catholic faith? There's, yeah, this is different for different people, I would say. Um, when you become a Catholic, there's a whole lot of spiritual theology, I guess I would say, in terms of um, learning other types of prayers, deeper kinds of prayers, and learning, in fact, I'd say learning the theology of what God can do in your soul, which in, in my experience wasn't available in the Protestant world. Um, so I, I had a good relationship with Jesus when I was a Protestant, but I think it sort of to me, it was sort of capping out at a certain point. Um, on on yeah. if I can put it this way, on the mind level and on the spirit level, it was pretty good. But to get into that deeper soul relationship with Jesus stuff, I could that really opened up when I became a Catholic. Because um, there's all these resources available if you're a Catholic um, where Jesus can work in your soul in a deeper way. So I'd I'd say it's deeper now that I'm a yeah. Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, it is an important, I, I guess, because uh, many Catholics, and as as you were growing up, myself, uh, probably didn't appreciate what we had uh, until you sort of leave, and then you come back, and then you say, "Wow, we had a yeah. we had a treasure, we had a gold mine here." Um, and how many people are in that situation now, where they they're going to mass uh, on Christmas, Easter, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's enough, you know. That might be, you know, if if they did more than that, that's too much, you know. You you're considered religious if you do a third mass in a year. <laughs> um, <and> so, <laughs> um, we're at a point where it's quite secular our culture, and and among Catholics, and 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 many people maybe watching and listening even would have many family and friends in that boat, and we were probably uh, guilty of that <laughs> at some stage. But now appreciating what we have in the church, uh, we take these things for granted. Um, could could we touch on some of the aspects just while we're here um maybe maybe from i guess from the protestant perspective what made you i guess leave in the first place what did you think uh, you found jesus as a as in the protestant church what and um and then again were there any any areas that were were you anti-catholic in any way were you sort of thinking no nah, catholics just don't get it on this and i'll just i just want to sort of sorry to touch on this but it's, it's i think it's a powerful thing for people mm -hmm. to realize it, was there anything, what attracted you to, I guess, become a, a Protestant? Was it that, that summer school you were talking about, uh, you had an encounter with Jesus? Yeah, I guess. So when you get to, and as a, um, I've done a bit of high school teaching as well, and you do sort of start to notice um, at, at, different age, at different ages, people start to think differently about the world. So I was 14 when I sort of went on this um, Bible camp. And for me at that point, I was starting to look for the truth. I would put it that way, you know, looking for answers about, okay, but how does the world actually work? Um, what, what is the actual truth of these things? From my perspective as a 14-year-old kid or, you know, probably starting puberty and things, for me, going to mass wasn't giving me those answers. Um, and, and I know one response to that might be, well, that was because you weren't listening hard enough. And may maybe that is true. Um, there's probably probably an aspect of that that's true. But for whatever reason, just going to mass wasn't giving me answers about who is Jesus really? What does 
what does it mean to say he died for our sins? How can we know God exists? Um, which at some point I would say if by the time I got to 15 and 16 and I had just gone to mass, I would have left the church at some point in there because I would not have got those answers. So I suppose it was an intellectual thing. I needed some answers. Um, luckily for me, there was a local you know, Bible camp that um, was offering a camp and um, yeah, they really went through the gospel that um, what does it mean to say Jesus died for our sins? What does it mean to say that we're sinners? Uh, what's the Bible all about? And for me at that point, that that is definitely what I needed to start me on the journey of um, understanding the truths of the faith for sure. Um, and, and so maybe that could that have been different in a different world? Maybe if there was more teaching on the local level at the Catholic church that I was going to, maybe if there was more ministries that were age appropriate, possibly things could have been different, but that, that was just the journey for me. Yeah. In terms of anti-Catholic, yeah, I definitely had an anti-Catholic phase. In fact, most of the most of the 10 years, it was just like, yeah, Catholics are all about ritual and tradition. It's all external for them. Um, I would say during those years, my view of Catholics would have been that they just don't understand the faith. They're just going through the motions. They don't actually get what Jesus really is. I would have said, oh, maybe some Catholics are good. Maybe some of them are saved. Uh, we had one bishop that was amazing. He was absolutely on fire when I was in my teen years. And we'd often say, oh, yeah, he's he's one Catholic who probably is saved. Um, we'd often say things like that because, yeah, that's what it looked like. If you're a Protestant from the outside looking in, that's what it looks like. Um, you see Catholics going to Mass. You see them going through the motions. But often that's it. That's all you see of Catholics. Um, and so that's the impression you get. So I would, yeah, when I first heard their teaching on the Eucharist, like they literally believe it's, you know, Jesus is literally present. It's like, that's crazy. That Catholics are, are doing something crazy with that. Um, now, obviously my views on those things are completely different now, but yeah, I, I would say I had some anti-Catholic views. Um, I still had Catholic friends, but I just couldn't see how there was any reason or logic in what they were doing. I thought it was just them being ritualistic basically. So interesting. Um, and, and this is, I imagine, common for many, many people who have, uh, I guess, left the church and then looking back at the church sort of from the outside now and, and you, you sort of try to justify, I guess, um, your decision in doing that. And, and, and on the surface, a lot of what the Catholic uh, church claims on a, on a natural level does sound quite, quite crazy. But, but that's the thing. We're not, we're not sort of called to be remaining here on that natural level. There is a supernatural side to this. And, and this is where, uh, I, I want to sort of go into with, with scripture. Uh, so just you, you raised the Eucharist. Were, were there any other sort of, are there common things that uh, um, non-Catholic, non, non-Catholic Christians have that are, that, that, that they have against the church that we could sort of highlight here? Um, I know Eucharist is one would, was authority one, the papal authority. Any others? For, yeah. I mean, for me, that was never a big one. Um, okay. I thought the Mary stuff was just silly. I thought they were just being silly with Mary, like they're just focusing too much on Mary. That I, I would have said that certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I think a big one for a lot of Protestants is um, works. So their perception is that Catholics believe they earn their salvation. Um, I mean, you know, when you get into Catholic theology, that is true, but in a very qualified sense. The Catholic perspective is, of course, you need to cooperate with God mm. as part of, you know, attaining further salvation that is part of catholic teaching 
But, you know, the Protestant one-dimensional view of that is Catholics believe they have to earn their way into heaven. And for them, that's just like, okay, well, that's the ultimate blasphemy. Catholics are not real Christians. Yeah. yeah. And, Which and is you can a misunderstanding, see, isn't it, as you're saying? Yeah, and that. you can see why. If And those of you who are listening who have been Protestants, you can see why, like, if you actually think that, then it's totally understandable that you re- you reject the Catholic faith. So it's understandable when you think in that mindset. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I mean, yeah, I mean, Mary's a classic one where... I guess Catholics are accused of worshipping her when we don't worship Mary, you know, yep. and, and the church has never said to worship her uh, ever. But maybe some people's external actions look like they're worshipping her if they if they bow to a statue or or, or, or refer to her often. But but once you be, once you understand, you know, we need her. Um, she's a help. You know, she's someone that's interceding for us. Not we're not asking for her forgiveness. We're asking for her prayers. Uh, yep. We're not saying Mary have mercy on us. It's our Lord only. But Mary, please help us. You know, yes. there's, there's a yeah. different dynamic. Uh, um, but yeah, well, she's she's in the in scripture as well, right through. And mm. I'd love to unpack some things with your, yeah, um, uh, yeah the Bible study exegesis, the Gospels. Yeah. Uh, can yeah. you tell us when did you find the the uh, the the podcast? Uh, how long ago, and and what exactly are you doing there? Yeah, so the podcast was it sort of came about as. Uh, so going back to when I was a Protestant, um, I did this, there was a certain Bible teacher, he's actually passed away now, so he's a Protestant guy called Chuck Missler. Do you know him? Have you heard of him? I don't know. So he's, it was quite popular in America. So he had a um, a podcast and, in fact, a, he had done a verse-by-verse exegesis of every single book of the Bible, you know, so he, wow. he had devoted his whole Christian teaching ministry to teaching people how to read the Bible verse by verse. So okay. that that's his whole ministry is literally teaching people the text of scripture. And he, for me, he instilled a real passion for and a respect for the actual text, the word of God as a book that needs to be studied, that needs to be understood. Um, so I suppose that was one of the leading Protestant ministries at the time that was doing that. So after I came back to being a Catholic, um, you know, there was a few different things that went on there. I got a new job and whatever. I sort of got to a point where I was like, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a bit older now. I actually want to use the gifts I have to contribute to the church in some way. Um, from my perspective at that time, so I started the ministry in, it was end of 2019. It was after I'd come back from a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And, you know, oh, that, yeah. that, That'll yeah, do it. <laughs> of course, that's going to do something, isn't it? So, and that in and of itself was like, all right, well, we have this amazing richness in the faith. I have got some gifts that I can probably use in some way. How can I do that? And from when I looked around in the Catholic media landscape, the oh, Catholic podcast landscape, I should say, there's a lot of really good Catholic podcasts about theology, a lot of really great Catholic podcasts about engaging the culture. Um, and then there's a lot of really good Catholic podcasts about overview of the Bible. Yeah. But I couldn't find anything, at least when I was looking, I couldn't find anything that was quite an in-depth study of particular books of the Bible from a Catholic perspective, at, at least in audio form, I suppose. You can yes, definitely yes. buy commentaries if you want to, um, but I couldn't find anything in the podcast form, whereas I know the Protestant world does does have a lot of that. So I was like, all right, well, I'll give this a go. And so I, ju- I just started, you know, reading a couple of commentaries, recorded a couple of episodes, shared them with people in my local area in the town I live in just to see what would happen, basically. Um, and the format that I decided to do was I'll record I'll have a go at doing an exegesis, which is basically just like a verse-by-verse analysis of um, the text of the gospel from that particular day's mass. I think I started in like October in that year, and so it was getting towards the end of the Gospel of Luke. 
recorded a 15 minute episode on must have been Luke chapter 20 or 21 or something, which is what was being read at that day's mass. Um, and then I did it again the next day and the next day, um, and it started to gain in popularity. I mean, th- that's sort of the basic beginnings of yeah. the ministry, yeah. Every single day um, you've been going for the, the gospel of the day. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, have you continued that right through till now? I have, yeah. It's, I don't know how I did it. Like looking back on it, you know, three years later, I knew it was going to be about a three-year project to do because the, yes. the, lex- the Catholic lectionary runs in an approximately three-year cycle. Somehow I found the time. I don't I don't know how I did, but maybe it was a, a thing from God. Somehow I found the time to every single day record whatever the gospel reading was at that day's mass. There's 365 um, days in a year. Yep, that's right. So and there's and you because you, yeah, and because the Sundays change as well. Um yes. so there's now about 500 episodes because if you factor wow. in the Sunday readings which change every year. Um so wow. it's been a big project, absolutely, but I I committed to it and said, I want to do it. I want to do this as like a, a three-year recording project anyway. That's about how long it would take. And it's pretty much been bang on because I'm just getting towards finishing it now. Yeah, that's right. We are, uh, I mean, Advent, um, at, in the time of this recording, it's Advent. It's a new year. Uh, yeah. We're back into cycle A. Um, so have you done, was it the back end of A when you started? Was it sort of the end of A? Yeah, or it was. Or was, um, was it end of C? Are we? Have you complete? How long before you complete all three, the full three year cycle? It is the actual. I believe the four year, the three year cycle. It depends on when you start listening, I suppose. But yeah, in theory, the three year cycle is now finished, and all of those episodes are now there. Really, what I'm doing at this point is sort of tidying up and editing a couple of things and adding in a okay. couple of more things I've learned from commentaries since I did some initial the initial recordings. I try to tidy things up as I learn new things. Oh, okay. You go back and replace those? or Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, interesting. So can people now go back and, and, and where can they go to watch or listen to these uh, commentaries? Yeah, so um, the podcast is called Daily Gospel Exegesis. Um, it's an entirely, I guess, homegrown thing. It's just uh, something done here in um, in regional Victoria uh, from my own study, I suppose. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's called uh, Daily Gospel Exegesis. You can search for it on any of the you know major podcast platforms. And essentially every day, I think it's about 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. in Australian time, it'll bring up the recording for the current day's gospel. And the idea I had in mind when doing this is um, it's it's a companion to going to daily mass. So what, what the podcast tries to give you is here's the literal sense of the gospel reading you're going to hear at today's mass. Um, we'll talk. We can talk more about the literal sense. Yes. Um, but so it's like, if you listen to this podcast, you'll then have a great appreciation, and you're more prepared for when you go to daily mass. You're more prepared to hear the homily that the priest will give on that particular gospel. Um, so that that's sort of the ideal way. If you treat it as like a companion to engaging with the gospel while going to mass as well. So yeah, it appears every morning. Um, it should be early enough for most mass times, like five a.m., six a.m. <laughs> And, um, yeah, it's usually about 20 minutes long. That's how long each episode is. Interesting. Fantastic. And it's uh, specifically the gospel of the day. So now that you've completed the gospels, is there work, uh, what's what's next for, for this podcast? Are you thinking so, the, the first reading now and or the first and second reading? Uh, is there any, any talk about that or any thought there? It's a good question. You know, people have asked me that. Um, people have asked me if, if I should do one on the Torah or something, uh, maybe oh, the book yeah. of Re- Revelation, because people oh, have a lot groups, of questions yeah. about the book of Revelation. What I want to do is um, 
In terms of how much of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, how much of those are read at Mass, if you go to Mass every single day for the three-year cycle, you will hear 80% of the four Gospels. Okay. So there's still actually about 20% of the Gospels that you'll never hear even if you go to Mass every single day. That's so what good, I'm doing, that's a good point. Yeah, so what I'm doing at the moment is recording, I guess, like bonus episodes um, covering all of those verses that are, are never read at Mass. Yeah. Oh, what a great idea. That. How long do you think that'll take, uh, the 20%? Is there about six months' worth of work there? I'm nearly there, I think. Um, it's probably only a couple more months away. So okay. I suppose the the end goal of this project, and it's this is just the model that I've had when I went into this podcast because I didn't know if it would work or not, is it's, it's about a three-year project. What I want to have done by the end of the three years is a recording verse by verse of every single verse in the Gospels. Maybe from there, um, I have no expertise in this, but I might like to package all of the Matthew Gospels into like a, a package in case people want to study Matthew um, I can do it for all four Gospels. So maybe it'll end up being like a chronological study or something. Uh, that that can would come be amazing. That. Yeah, if you can get it to um, that, that would be yeah. phenomenal. I, I don't have any expertise in producing like resources of that nature, but if there's anyone out there who's good <laughs> at com- compiling things, making it like marketable, packageable, yes. um, love to hear from you. But um, yeah, I guess from now, since all the main podcast episodes are recorded, it's going to be there forever, and I'm going to. We're going to keep re-releasing them on the day, if that makes sense. So if you're yeah, new fantastic. to the podcast, you can you can keep listening. It's going to keep rolling out, re-releasing um, the episodes as appropriate for every single day. So right. although the bulk okay. of the recording work is done, if that makes sense, yeah, um, it's yeah. going to keep being available in the normal order for people to listen to. That's fantastic. Congratulations. That's great work. Thank you for doing that. What a contribution to the church that is. And and people take advantage. It's completely free, right? So they can just It's totally free. Yeah. 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 So yep. take advantage it's of that. A normal podcast. Yeah. Can we do something a bit interesting now, a bit of an exercise here? I'd like to go through just some basics about scripture. What is scripture in the sense, you know, we, we say, we make claims that it's the word of God, you know, we'll make, uh, it, it's got a lot of history in it. Um, it's got a lot of claims of people, events, um, and a lot of people, you know, might have some generalization thinking, is the Bible uh, a scientific book, a historical book? Do we look at the Bible to know where we've come from? And certainly we do. Or or is it purely a um, a spiritual book just, just about teaching us lessons? Or is it even just a complete myth um, that is just there to... To, to sort of maybe encourage us in our life to be a better person. How how do we interpret the Bible? I know there's different, we understand there are senses of scripture. Yeah. Could you talk a bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, of the options you've described there, definitely the first option is the one we want to go with as Catholics. It is actually the word of God. Yes. It's God's communication to man. Or I, sh- I should say it's one, one of the primary ways that God communicates to man is his leftist written books, in cooperation with the human authors, he's um, expressed to us things that he wants us to know. I suppose that's that's a good starting point. So the Bible is not just a human book. It is, in fact, inspired by God. Um, and as, as the church teaches, God has made sure that there's nothing in there that he doesn't want in there. So, so everything is in the Bible um, for a purpose. Yeah. So, yeah, in terms of the senses of Scripture, the, the church actually has a fairly a good, helpful teaching on this, which is, there's two main senses of scripture and they're actually given different names in different translations, but typically we'll distinguish between the literal sense and then a spiritual sense of the text. Um, the church is encouraged us, particularly in the catechism and in recent 
um, biblical documents um, to always start with the literal sense. So as Catholics, um, the church teaches we have to start, if, if we're serious about understanding the Bible and understanding what God wants to say to us, we have to start with the literal sense of the text. So a classic example of this is if you think about the David and Goliath passage, if we read that passage and say, oh, what's the Goliath in my life? All right. So, yeah. so that would be starting with the spiritual sense. Now, yeah. maybe maybe there is a place for that further down the track, but the first thing we need to do is look at, all right, what's actually going on, on in the textual level in the David and Goliath story? Who is Goliath? Who is David? What's this conflict all about? What does the victory mean? Why do people react the, the way they do in the story? Um, because that is God working in history. So we want to find out what was how would the original readers have understood this story? What was actually going on in the original story? That is essentially what the literal sense is. Now, that's different from being literalistic. And again, here's why sometimes English words are confusing. Um, We don't want to be literalistic, but we do want to be literal. As Catholics, we actually have to be literal in our interpretation of Scripture. From there, we can then go into the spiritual sense, which is things like what does it mean on the moral level? How does this point towards Christ? How does this point towards the church? Uh, But that's sort of the second step of the process. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, can you? Uh, so, what is the difference there? Literalistic and literal. What What do you mean? So, is it uh, there actually was a giant called Goliath? David did have a slingshot. He did kill Goliath with the stones, the five smith stones, and the first one hit him in the head. He did yeah. fall down. I mean, uh, the you know, almost like um, reading, say, a children's Bible. Uh, it's it's basically the stories, and you read them. And when you read the Bible, it's that's it. The, the characters you take it for that face value. Um, but what is the difference between literalistic and literal? Could you explain? Yeah, the basic difference is, and I, I think I've heard a lot of um, even Catholics get this wrong. Um, if you try, if you some Catholics, if you try and encourage them to take the Bible literally, again, remember we're supposed to take the Bible literally. They'll yes. be like, "Oh no, we're not supposed to do that," because they're thinking of literalistic. So the difference there would be literalistic doesn't take into account at all um, genre. It doesn't mm. take into account the context and the genre. It just reads a single line of text and says, oh, that means exactly what, you know, what the sentence means. So an example is in the Psalms. There's lots of poetry in the Psalms, right? Yes. Um, there's a couple of lines about how God shelters his people under his wings. Now, if you just read that line, you would you could say, oh, that, that means God has wings, right? Okay. Or God has feathers. Yeah. That would be being literalistic, as in you just take the single sentence, pure English, and say, oh, that is exactly what it means there in the single sentence. Now, we're not allowed to do that. But what we are allowed to do is look at the genre, what was God trying to communicate through that genre. And so in the case of David and Goliath, it looks like it's written as history. So yes, we should take it as this is a real historical event that did actually happen. Um, so that that's the distinction there. Literal sense means you take a good look at the genre, a good look at the context, and try and work out what's going on on the original level literalistic is you don't care about context and genre you just read it word for word as it appears does that make sense yeah absolutely that's excellent i hope that that helps a lot of people listening to this and and watching this because that is a real trap we can fall into uh, because people then jump to conclusions thinking the bible's completely false because of its claims Mm. because they're thinking of it literalistically Mm. Um, in in a 21st century context and sometimes, even in the in the in the English language, we we might we might take it with our current understanding and not consider any of the the, the genre, the the author's intentions, yes, the context right. around the time, mm. 
what was what were they trying to portray? What you know, I love how you said earlier at the very start of this podcast. Uh, you said God uh, has it's the inspired word of God, and what's in there is exactly what He wants to be in there. Yeah, that's ev- right. everything is there for a purpose. And I think with that in mind, then we, we've we've heard the claim as Christians, you know, the word of God can't make mistakes. It, it's the inerrancy of Scripture. How do we make that bold claim when some people are thinking, "Hang on, so the the creation story just sounds a bit crazy because it's is it six twenty four hour days? That doesn't sound right. Doesn't match up with some of the science or 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 yeah. When, um, there's lots of other claims about. Uh, I mean, there's ages of people. There's all these different things going on. Where, ooh, um, is it? The Bible's making a lot of claims, and scientifically, it doesn't marry up. How how do we then continue to say it's the inerrant scripture doesn't make any error? Yeah, this is, and of course, the Genesis story is always the one that people want to yeah. go to. The, the for those who are interested, the Genesis story is actually it's a very very difficult text to pin down even scholars who've studied it for a long time it's a really unique text you can sort of start to get a feel for you know maybe what the author is trying to do with certain passages but it's definitely inspired by god the majesty of that text is it's actually inexhaustible so it's actually a very difficult text to pin down which is why there's so much debate about it i would say um in yeah in terms of the inerrancy the, the church tells us or has tried to teach us through the catechism and other documents what is meant by inerrancy is that whatever is asserted by the by the author of scripture is also asserted by God, which means it's protected from error. So whatever the author, the, the human author, whatever the human author is trying to teach, that will be free from error. Now, of course, this is where you enter a bit of a, a gray area and this is where scholarship comes in because it's not always clear what the original author wanted to teach. And this sometimes we just have to say we're not sure exactly what the author meant but we can still preserve the Catholic teaching that whatever the author meant, we believe it's protected from error. So in the case of Genesis, it might mean, although certainly as a Catholic, you, there's room for differences of opinion here. Maybe the author of Genesis was not trying to teach scientific facts. Maybe he was just mm-hmm. trying to teach a general theological account about truths. If that's the case, well, then certainly it's it's absolutely inerrant and it's you know, God made sure that there was no errors in what the author was trying to teach about the nature of man, the nature of origins. Um, it's the same all the way through scripture. So when the psalmist is writing poetry about God and he's expressing his emotions about God, God is ensuring that there's no error in the way that the human author is expressing that. Um, same with the gospel authors when they're trying to tell us some things Jesus did and said. Um God has inspired it so that there is no error in the way that they say what they're trying to say about Jesus. That That's generally the way that the church has unpacked it. Um, that always leads to more questions about, well, then how historical is this certain passage? Yes. Um, and it, on, on, as a general rule of thumb, if it looks like a historical book, then you should treat it as a historical book. If there's no good reason to assume it's not, then you, you, don't, have to, you don't have to go away from that. But, of course, there will always be difficult passages where we just – where we don't know what the author was trying to say, yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, what 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 it confirms, I guess, is when we do read the the scripture, um, it is based on history. There are there are real characters, real events, but we also got to determine when you read it literally um, on faith what you what what it's saying. But then then you said there's a spiritual sense. Yeah. Um, when do you know? So when do you then? I guess is it a transition? You sort of read it the first time literally. 
um, and then you read it again spiritually. How does that? How do you get to that stage where, okay, now what's the spiritual meaning here? And are there there's categories here as well? Like, could you can you um, unpack that for us? Yeah. So this is a little bit harder, and certainly what we do in, in the podcast is we focus just on the literal sense. Okay. Um, so it's no. uh, I'm less less. Of, in fact, I sh- the, the podcast is less likely to help you with the spiritual sense, I guess, because we just <laughs> want to provide you with the literal foundation. But underneath the spiritual sense, the church, and I think this comes from Aquinas, the church has discerned that there's kind of three categories of spiritual sense. So you have the moral, these are given different names as well. So the moral sense, the allegorical sense, and the anagogical sense. Moral sense is typically like what is a moral lesson, what, or maybe what moral lesson about Christian living was God trying to contain in a in a subtle way in this passage. Um Allegorical sense might be, are there figures, are there people in this story, are there particular facts about this story that sort of point towards Jesus and point towards the church? Like, of course, in the Abraham story, the sacrifice in Abraham and Isaac, on the literal sense, yes, God is testing Abraham. Great. On the spiritual sense, and the church is very clear on this, and in fact, the New Testament authors see this as well, on the spiritual sense, that is an allegory for Jesus on the cross um, in terms of the sacrifice of Isaac. So it's something that points to Christ. Um, the anagogical sense can be a bit harder to pin down. That usually has to do with um, what in this passage points us towards God as the ultimate purpose of our life or the, the ultimate things of judgment, heaven, hell, that kind of thing. Um, usually with spiritual senses, we have to be careful because if there is a definitive spiritual sense, it'll be told to us in the New Testament. So Jesus will give an Old Testament passage its proper spiritual sense. So he does that with a few passages about David, for example, um, and or Paul might do it as well. So even then, we have to be careful that we don't insist on this is the spiritual sense of the text if it's just an idea that we've come up um, come up with. So so really, when you unpack it, there's ultimately you'll finally get to a third stage of senses of text, which is just like, how does this apply to my life? Mm-hmm. And that's where that's totally individual to you. That's where um, God working through you as you read the Bible will, will reveal something to you. So it, it, I, I like to think of it as that three-tiered system where um, the literal sense, we can get a good idea of it by by doing commentaries and, and um, looking at authorities and unpacking the text. The spiritual sense can be harder to access, but if we look at the way Jesus and the New Testament authors interpreted the Old Testament, we can sometimes get the spiritual sense there. And then that personal sense, that's just unique to each of us as to what God wants to say to us. So it's, yeah, it's kind of excellent. multi-layered. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's important that this is understood because some people only read the Bible in, in that last category sometimes it's only yeah. what does this have to do with my life i'm gonna i'm gonna and and then it's almost like um a lucky dip sort of thing I, I, wherever i open the bible that's what it's going to say now that that's a mm. nice thing to do it, 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 it god is obviously always talking to us and whatever page or finger passage your finger touches you read that first it's, mm. a, it's a great it's a great start but if that's all you're doing and then if it's all you're doing is memorizing lots of things out of context and that's your only experience of scripture you're sort of missing all the rest of the richness. Um, yeah. So you did allude to like um, the New Testament. So the characters are referring to the Old Testament. So so many Christians we say have said, oh, look, it, Jesus has come. Let's just focus on the New Testament. The Old Testament, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a different God. I mean, the God was mm. angry in the Old Testament and he doesn't show mercy and he's sort of, it's very different. Old is very different to the New. 
Jesus has come. He's cleaned it all up. He's, he's, he's done with the old and he's in with the new. Let's focus on the new. What do you say to that? I would say that that is not a good approach. Yeah, the church has said actually both of them are equal in authority. The Old Testament and the yes. New Testament, we need both of them. Um, there's, In fact, there's some aspects of God that you wouldn't get from the New Testament, um, interestingly. And I suppose the more important thing from 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 our perspective as Christians is you won't actually understand the New Testament if you don't have a good background in the Old Testament. Um, half of the things Jesus says and does, you're really not going to be able to understand it unless you can see that he is grounding himself in, in an Old Testament story in an Old Testament passage. Um, so the Old Testament is setting a really fundamental framework for what Jesus is going to do. And if you try and take away the Old Testament from that, in fact, I would say you'll create a new version of Jesus that Jesus himself wasn't wasn't trying to do. He's working in the, what would I say, in the history, in the long line of, of Old Testament. He's fulfilling the Old Testament. Um, so as Catholics, yes, we should learn the Gospels, and the Church has said the Gospels will always have primary place. If you're going to learn any book of the Bible, you should probably learn one of the Gospels. Yeah. But the entire scripture needs to be learned and needs to be studied. It's all equally valid for us. Yeah, so powerful. I mean, it's something I realized only maybe oh, it's probably in the last 10 years of my of my coming back to the faith uh, that understanding the the overview of the Bible certainly takes it to a whole new level when you start totally. understanding uh, the Old Testament characters, the journey from pro- prophet to prophet, the following the bloodline of Jesus, you know, there's mm-hmm. great studies. Um, Scott Hart himself with Salvation History, yep. Our Father's Plan, um, The Father Who Keeps His Promises, great books. Um, then John Bergsma with Bible Basics. It's a great one. Again, an overview of the Old Testament. Yes. Yep. You, you see what Jeff Cavins has done. with. That's Bible. a great one too. Yeah. Yep. Love that. And, the, and then he breaks it down into sort of easy digestible categories. You know, you can actually just read 12 Old Testament books and that gives you the context of the Old Testament and two New mm-hmm. Testament so fourteen yep. books of the seventy-three, and and wow, you've got the yep. context. But you don't again. You don't leave it there as well. You want to go deeper, and that's what you're yep. providing with the logical um, Bible study or the the Genesis, the daily, the Gospel um, exegesis. And yep. and so uh, when how would where would someone start if they want to read the Old Testament? We've got lots of Bible in the Year programs, and 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 Father um, Mike Smith has got a famous Bible in the Year podcast, which is a great one. I, I recommend. But where would you, um, is that a great place to start? How do you read the Old Testament, understanding what you just said with the whole concept of the new Jesus referring to it? Would you just read cover to cover? Would you go from Genesis all the way to Maccabees? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a hard question. Where to start in the Old Testament? I mean, if you want to do it properly, you actually do need to go from cover to cover. Um, now, the problem is, and you know, people always make jokes about this, is you once you get to Leviticus, you get stuck and you don't go any further. <laughs> Leviticus is always the book that, you know, people tend to get stuck on or they make jokes about it being the book that people get stuck on. So at, at some point, I, I'll put it this way, what I would do is I would start from Genesis, keep reading all the way through. When you get to a certain part that you, if you've read it for a couple of chapters, it's just not making sense to you. At that point, I think you should get a resource to help you, uh, like okay. a commentary or a study Bible as well. At that point, you actually need something to help you get over that hump. Once you get over that hump, then just keep going all the way through. In fact, for a lot of people, it's not Leviticus. It's actually about halfway through Exodus. There's a, there's a big mm. block of laws 
given on the Mount Sinai that you're just like, what is going on here? So yes. wherever that is for you, when you get to that point where you've just had a couple of chapters of things not making sense, get a resource to help you and then get back into going all the way through. I actually do think you should try and read it chronologically all the way through. Yeah. Yes. Now, on that, I mean, it isn't actually um, chronological in the order. So when you're Correct. reading the yes. books, yeah. how is the Old Testament, how is it organized? Because if it's not chronological, because once you get to, uh, you've got Leviticus, you've got Deuteronomy, it feels like it's repeating itself again. Mm. Um, what's going on? Are, are the, the Bible is grouped into sort of categories. Uh, do, are we able to unpack some of that? Uh, what, what are those categories? What, how is it organized and why was it not just chronological? Yeah, there's a, a very complex history of how, yeah, when certain books of the Old Testament were written in relation to other books and then why they weren't placed next to that book in the final version of the Old Testament. Certainly, I think it's fair to say that from Genesis up until about Second Samuel, so, you know, that's a decent chunk of, what is yeah. that, about 10 books or something, that is actually roughly chronological. So you could read that first chunk of books and you have a fairly good idea of the timeline. But from then on, once you get to the King's books and the Chronicles books, that is a period when there's this explosion of writing. So a lot of prophets are writing in that time, um, often to certain kings to address specific social situations. But the problem is the, the prophets that wrote at that time often get put at the end of the Old Testament. Um, so, you, so when you reach the prophets, you're like, what are they talking about here? Because it's not placed chronologically. Um, and that's where things like the Jeff Cavins resources can come in really helpful to help you see what covenant that's falling under, what period of time that comes under. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, so maybe once you get to about Kings, it can be useful to supplement what you're reading in Kings with something like Isaiah and maybe one of the other prophets, minor prophets, um, to see to see how the prophets and other people in Israel are reacting to the events that they're seeing in Kings and Chronicles. Um, so, so that can be a, a way of, of helping you work it out. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah, uh, I, I can't remember every single category off my head, but there, I mean, we've got historical books, wisdom books. Yeah, prophetic books. Any other categories that I've? Uh, yeah, there's. Did we say wisdom books? Yes, yeah. One so of the wisdom, ones we said in there. Prophetic, and even, historical. Even under that, you've got um, poetic books as well. Okay. Um, and that there's some that they sometimes called like mixed literary works. So, for example, Tobit and Judith, which are in Catholic Bibles, don't easily fit into any of the categories there. Um, and there's, there's certainly there's different ways of of kind of mapping it out. Yeah. They've all got their place. They all arise from Israel's reflection on God and what he's doing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. I, I definitely want to congratulate, I mean, Jeff Cavins, whether it is done there. Um, yeah, we did lots of Bible studies with that timeline. I think it's a brilliant sort of introductory first go at it and you get your chrono chronological mm. orders, the narrative book, so to speak, and then you come back and then you do the supplementary books, and but you ultimately want to get through all of it. Um, but in context of that, it's a, it's a brilliant resource. Um, you, you think you'll eventually then uh, expand from the Gospels to the letters? Would you do some Old Testament stuff in your podcast? It, it, I don't, yeah, I honestly don't know. It depends on what, what God leads me to do. It depends on the, on the time I've had. I've actually had a lot of time in the last three years just through, okay. you know, yeah. I just have, have happened to have a lot of time that's allowed me to get that project done. Um, yeah, I'm interested in doing more things on the local level with my local church to see if there's certain Bible studies that they would like to see happen. Okay. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I would like to do, 
you know, my own kind of next big field of study that I still have questions about that I'd like to help other Catholics with is Paul's letters. Um, There's, yeah, a lot of really good resources out there now that help us really get into the mind of Paul and what what certain certain words meant. And that's another big project in and of itself. So whether I'm able to 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 do that in the way I've done with the Gospels, I'm not sure. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, wow. Um, just uh, I guess we're we're running out of time here, but in in sort yeah. of close, have you? What's the feedback you've been getting? Um, how have people been receiving? Because I know uh, reading the Bible is difficult for many. But after when when they actually do, um, I guess push through, you know, get through those hurdles, look out for the commentaries. What's been the response if they if they're listening to your podcast? Have you had any feedback? Mm. How is yeah, this helping people read the Bible? The feedback has been uh, um, far better than I would have expected, actually, because <laughs> I, I mean, my original vision of it was okay. Well, I'll just show it to a couple of friends and see what they think, but. The thing is, as soon as you put something out in the podcast world, like on iTunes and the you know the podcast publishers, yeah. it then becomes available for the public to search. And so within a couple of months, people from the US were just finding it. Uh, I think people yeah. were just typing in gospel analysis or, or gospel reflection even. Um, and so there's a lot of listeners in the US. In fact, I think it's something like 70% of the listeners to this podcast are in the US. So that these oh, wow. are people that I've, <laughs> I've never met. I probably will never meet. Um <laughs> The feedback has been uh, amazing. You know, a lot of people have said that it's really transformed their understanding of the Bible. It's helping them engage deeper in mass. Um, and the one big feedback that comes in all the time is it really helps them set the context for why Jesus says certain things. Um, it's particularly important in the parables. A lot of people kind of half understand the parables but never fully get it. And I, this podcast seems to have helped people get at why Jesus used certain, certain words and things. So, it's definitely helping people go deeper. It's been a lot of really positive feedback that's come in. That's fantastic. I mean, that's the goal, isn't it? Um, having a deeper understanding of Scripture, but then a deeper relationship with our Lord uh, Himself. That's that's beautiful. Totally. Um, yeah. Well, look. Uh, uh, just finally, as we close, I, I want to um, just invite people again to search um, on. They want to if they want to find these podcasts. Where do they go again? Just this one last time. Yeah, so you just pop it into Google. There's no there's no website, but um, there's like a the pop the public the podcast publishing website will will show you where to go anyway. So if you just put into Google daily gospel exegesis, um, that'll either bring up the podcast main website or it'll bring up iTunes. You can even put it into your podcast provider on your phone. Daily gospel exegesis. It's a funny word, exegesis, <laughs> um, but it should pop right up there. Fantastic, and that's something people can do. Today, at the moment, listening to this, uh, you know, it's a new uh, liturgical season now. You can yep. start every day. Great time to start. Know, start the new year. Do it. And uh, I highly encourage it. I'll be doing it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out every day. I've been, I've been listening to it bits and pieces, but I'd love to sort of get in that discipline of doing it every day. So, yeah, thank you for doing that. And uh, I'm looking forward to making that a part of my New Year's resolution and listening yeah, thanks, yeah. to that. So, no, God bless you. Uh, thanks for joining us on this uh podcast and we're praying for you please pray for us and love to get you back on again sometime and, sure. and maybe there's more we can do and, and maybe do some some bible studies and things like that together That'd absolutely yeah yeah there's, it's a new time i mean i think there's some good stuff happening is the next you probably hear people talk about this all the time this next generation of catholics are really wanting to do new creative things that haven't been done before so there's a whole lot of stuff opening up yeah praise god oh no god bless you thank you Thanks, Chavelle. All right. Well, everyone, that's another podcast. Uh, um, thank you. I hope you can subscribe to to the Daily Gospel Exegesis. I think it's a, a wonderful resource. 
um, three-year cycle. How exciting it's all done for you now. What a time to, to release this podcast and and there's more. So let's pray for Hayden, his work uh, and his studies. And, uh, and I'm praying for all of you. Please uh, pray for us. Don't forget to subscribe to the Perusia podcast and share these shows with, with your family and friends. That's another week. I'm Shabal Raish and, and thanks again. God bless. <music>